Hello, oh, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Ned Phillips, co-founder of Bamboo. Bamboo is a digital platform that helps businesses deploy robo-advisor solutions quick, fast, and customized. And with that, here's my interview with Ned. Hello, Ned. Hi, Jason. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for taking the time from uh, far away Singapore. What time is it there right now, actually? So it is 9 p.m., and, uh, but honestly, I'm quite used to, I've been, lived out in Asia for about 30 years, but I uh, used to work for E-Trade, so covering uh, East Coast and the West Coast. So I've been doing U.S. hours for almost 30 years, so uh, 9 yeah. p.m. is uh, actually quite a simple time for me to be on a call. Yeah, that is a 12-hour difference, which <laughs> literally hit the maximum gap. Excellent. So uh, Ned Phillips, founder of Bamboo, tell us about Bamboo. Sure, thanks, Jason. So we design, build, and integrate robo-advisors. So the simplest way I can describe it is that financial institutions say to us, I want a betterment. I want a wealth front. I want my own you know, robo-advisor. And as you know, we're a pure technology company that has built all the different components you need to design and build and integrate a robo-advisor. So pure B2B, design and build, technology guys, four years old. Yes, we're based out in Singapore, but we've been pretty global. We've been really lucky. We have clients in the US, we have clients in Europe and across Asia and also in the Middle East. And really early on in our journey, uh, Franklin Templeton made an investment in us. And really that gave us- That doesn't hurt. <laughs> it's not. So I, just a little bit of that history, Jason. I, uh, I was an equity broker. So I'm 53, lived down in Asia most of my life. I was an equity trader. And you know we used to trade for Franklin. And I remember as an equity trader, it's hard to get like a, you know, a lunch meeting with like a trader on the desk. And not long after we started Bamboo, very luckily, the Chuck Johnson of the Johnson family of oh, really? uh, was in Singapore. And he said, would you like to catch up? And, you know, the answer is always yes when that happens, right? But a member of the, of the, of the family that you know, runs that company says, would you like to go for lunch or catch up? The answer is always yes, because you just never know what comes out of it, right? Exactly. And, you know, we got, we got you know, I think it's been a, a good experience. You know, we, you know, we've built for over 20 financial institutions now, some of the biggest, Franklin, Standard Chartered, HSBC, fairly global. And yeah, it's always about that, trying to solve that technology problem. How do you design a great digital wealth journey, either for the advisor or for the end customer? How do you build it and how do you integrate it? And that's been what we've done. It's been good. Excellent. So let's talk about the actual history of the founding of the company. So what was, you were an equity trader previously, what was the moment or the decision that basically led to the creation of Bamboo? Sure. So I've always been in technology. So E-Trade, exchanges. So I work for Singapore Exchange, E-Trade. So I've always kind of been on the business side of financial technology. I'm not a technologist by trade. And uh, I'm 53. It was about eight years ago. I was kind of, you know, the normal midlife crisis, doing a bit of fintech consulting. And I was consulting for a robo-advisor in Hong Kong that was B2C. And I, they had said, do you think that, can you help us decide if there's any B2B business? And after a year, we had 20 banks who wanted to build with us, but we didn't have the technology or the team. And I was getting quite frustrated. And I told a friend of mine, I said, you know what? There's all this business. I'm a sales guy and we can't fulfill it. He said, oh, you should meet this guy. He can do it. And that was the moment. I met my co-founder called Aki Rannan, a real technologist, a real builder of stuff. And we kind of realized pretty quickly, he can build, I can sell, let's do it. And I think it was that moment that when I found the guy who could really build it, I thought I had a good opportunity and I knew there was demand. And that was, that was four and a half years ago. And we, we went right to it straight away. So a couple of interesting takeaways from that. The first one is, um, let's talk about the customers who are interested in working with a robo-advisor. 
So what was the kind of driving influences there? What was it that they were seeing or wanting to get on the bandwagon of? And why was it they felt they couldn't do it themselves? So that was five years ago when I was working at the B2C. We were talking to B2B guys. And honestly, Jason, I think back then it was just, oh, digital? Yeah, we should do that. Kind of innovation lab time. Ugh. Let's do digital. Honestly, I don't think... The latest were- executive buzzword. You know, it's it's... Oh yeah, we should we should also have that that elephant, uh, even though we don't really understand what that elephant does. That and Jason, honestly, you know, five years ago, I think it really was that. But still, it was oh, robos, yeah, we need that. Why? Yeah, because we need it. Why? And I think we saw that at first. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's, it, it's it, hilarious. You know, it was a reality, right? And I think the uh, biggest thing that's happened has been over these five years or well, four, four years. Then we started Bamboo. When we started it, we realized, oh, okay, people. Only some people want it. Then three years ago, oh, quite a few want it. Two years ago, wow, there was a lot of incoming demand. This year, wow. And I think the word robo-advisor is a little bit clouding of the topic. A digital wealth tool, either for advisors, for their end customers. Today, it's really clear. I mean, not just COVID, because that creates clear demand to have a digital tool, but all the way from advisors to a front-end, you know, B2C tools, disruption, cost, revenue, customer retention, customer acquisition. There's really good reasons today. But if you ask the question, what was it at first? Yeah, just the new shiny thing in the room. Uh, Too often, too often. So you mentioned the struggle of trying to get it to to market. And I'm, I'm thinking it's just because I'm guessing it was engineered for B2C with no thought towards building a platform out of it. And then the second you hit enterprise and enterprise wants to change the color of this of this area or whatever, the code just wasn't built for that. Was that largely what, what the problem you ran into was? No, no, not quite. Because actually, Jason, I'd been in B2C for a long time with E-Trade and I saw, we stayed away from that because we knew what the cost per acquisition is, right? You want to build mm-hmm. a B2C brand, you better be raising 50 million, 100 million for customer acquisition. The oh my problem, God, yeah. Exactly, right? But honestly, Jason, the problem at first was that we were trapped between should we build a product and try to sell that or should we build what anybody wants, right? If you build what anybody wants, you end up building quite a random bunch of code, which isn't a Mm -hmm. product. You get customers. If you build a product and then no one buys it, you don't have a business. So to start with, we went down the customized route of going to financial institutions and saying, hey, what digital wealth problem do you have? We can solve it. And We got quite a few customers and it really helped us build. But the problem was that's not that scalable. So the struggle at first was we were building one thing for one customer, another thing for another, another thing for another. And that really wasn't scalable. Where we are today is completely different that we found how to deliver quickly on a scalable. So yeah, the struggle at first was we weren't really focused on scaling products and we're just rebuilding every time. But after the first year or two, we figured it out. We're still figuring it out. We haven't got it all right, for sure. But that was the struggle at first, product or pure customized. Well, I mean, that makes sense. No one, <laughs> even if you think you know what you're supposed to build the first time out, the odds are you're dead wrong. It's the old, no battle plan survives first encounter with the enemy. And that's exactly what you encountered, right? You thought you had it. And of course, it takes iteration. And by the time you built it the third or fourth time, you're probably pretty close to what needs to be done. Yeah, actually, well, the simpler version, I probably couldn't say that either, Jason. The simpler version of that is Mike Tyson. Everyone has a plan until you get a punch in the face. Punch in the face, exactly. (laughs) So when we started, our message was this. Hey, what do you want in digital wealth? We can build it. No, we definitely got some customers. HSBC, Standard Charter. It was great. And then about two and a half years ago, we're like, let's build a ready-to-go robo-advisor. We'll call it Robo in a Box. The problem was, good idea, but we just didn't have the knowledge of all of these different things you need to build a robo. People go, oh, you know, onboarding, 
risk questions, portfolio, transactions. That's not even 10% of it. That's just the little fluffy things on top. So it's the surface stuff you can see. Correct. All of the guts and all of the infrastructure. And one of our proudest things we've ever built is what we called our splitter technology. The ability to take a single fund back from a custodian and split it down to multi-goal because the custodian doesn't care about goals, right? They just return you mm. the fund. But we build multi-goal. So you have to split that fund into separate goals, dividends, transactions. But we realized no one had this splitter technology. And honestly, it's one of our greatest sales techniques today. Somebody says, oh, I'm going to build a robot. Great. How good's your splitter technology? No one thinks about that, right? We ended up thinking about it because we built multi-goal. So even when we built robot box, we didn't know what to do, Jason. Today, we have something called Bamboo Go in America, which we believe really starting to work well. And that was the reality. It just takes time to learn. You know, robo's not... It's not easy to build it. So let's talk about the entire experience before we dive into some of the more interesting features like the splitter. So a customer comes to you and says, okay, we want to build our own robo. You know, we're a financial institution, whatever, or whatever we are, and we want to end this game. Help us. What does that experience look like? What is it you're doing, your platform's doing for them? What are the lead times? Take me through the full experience. Absolutely. Will do. I'll take you through the US experience. What we found is clients split into two groups. There is the one group. We ask them a question back. Three topics we must ask them. How much budget do you have? How much time do you have? And how much tech? How many people do you have work in tech? What we found is with the majority of anybody who isn't a first tier, no tech team, no upfront budget, and I want it today. Mm. So then we go directly to Bamboo Go. And that experience is this. Awesome. Great. We have a advisor journey and a B2C, a customer-led journey, where we can customize that journey for you. We already have it built. We can put your look, your feel, your risk questions. You can use our portfolio models or yours. We can do all of that. But the back end is already built. What do I mean by back end? It's integrated to Apex Clearing. It's got Plaid uh, funding, ACH, ACATS, all of some of the stuff you need to be able to do the transaction capabilities. So we can say to these people, in four to eight weeks, we can have you up and running if you're willing to go with this fixed back end, currently Apex, Plaid, ACH, ACATS, the front end will make it look and feel everything that you need. And we just launched that about three months ago. That's really our robo in a box called Bamboo Go. And we're yeah. starting to see great traction with that. The so other your bundle solution comes, comes, you know, with all the back end stuff, you know, don't worry about picking a custodian. We've already integrated. Don't worry about this. We've done it. But essentially it's already, and, and the great thing about that is that I'm guessing that you have that basically humming at this point, right? Like if you're not having to customize anything other than the superficial front end, and all the back end is fully tied together and being tested, you know, that, that's robust, right? Like you're not gonna you're not gonna run into bugs on day two. We have spent, you know, Jason, this is like when I said, when we tried that two and a half years ago with Robo in a box, we realized, you know, we were still a young, we're still a young company, but we just hadn't done it enough. You know, we have 10 live robos around the world now. We've working with 20 of the, some of the world's largest financial institutions. You know, we you know, we really know what we're doing. And full disclosure, one of our investors is Peak Six, who's also mm -hmm. the uh, major investor owner of Apex. So, you know, we were really motivated to get that right. Apex is one of the best digital custodians and clearers for ease of use. So absolutely, we can really start to deliver that robo experience really quickly. And that's when I mentioned short time, we do that with no upfront cost, only pay once it's live. And you don't need a tech team. We'll even deploy it in AWS for you. We'll do all of wow. that. But then when we deal with like an HSBC or a standard charter or a Franklin, that's what we call bamboo build. And really that's more of a three to six month sales process. What's your digital wealth problem? 
you're solving for advisors, you're solving for end customers. Tell us what custodian you need. We've done Pershing, we've done Saxo, we've done Drivewells, we've done Apex, but we can do that and fully customizable. And realistically, that's a three to six month sale process and a six to nine month delivery. But that comes with a larger cost, but obviously ends up being way more custom. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's perfect because, I mean, what you're doing is so market expanded, right? Like the small regional banks, for example, who maybe want to offer something to their, to their customers, they do not have the ability to scale something like this or have the people to figure it out. Sure, you've been setting up their AWS account. Like that's, that's hilarious. Like, you know, it's, it's yeah, you're one step away from being like, okay, here's the keyboard. You type into this thing to, to make it go. Fantastic. So tell me about uh, the response to both thus far. So what's been the general feedback you've gotten from, from, from your business consumers on the out-of-the-box version and then on the more detailed, customizable version? Sure. We'll start with the customized. I mean, of our 20 clients today, 18 are on the customized version. Why is that? It's because we've only just launched the ready-to-go version a few months ago in the US. So it's brand new, signed three customers already. So already new, already got customers coming on board. So feeling really good about what we found with the customized journey is that's where we started. You know, that's that challenge in software, right? You do the customized version, you get the big brands, it creates belief and trust going forward. But what I'm really starting to see, particularly in the US, because, you know, Bamboo goes into it into Apex, is this, and particularly with COVID, digital today, but I have no budget. That is a mantra that we're hearing. Oh, God. I know, right? That's hilarious. Go on, go on. We'll come back to that. But digital today, but I have no budget. Mm. Sounds like finance, but continue. Exactly. But that's why Bamboo Go, I think, you know, we've spent the last couple of years building it. And right now is what's called single tenant, right? So we do deploy it each time for the client, four to six weeks, right? But what we're seeing is we're actually working on a multi-tenant version of that. So ultimately, we want to be the sales force of robot. Hey, we can actually deploy this almost in real time. And we're actually building a front end where they can, as you say, like here's the keyboard, drag and drop your logo, move the color around. Like we really believe that where digital wealth is going is that it will be that customizable. The robos won't be this long. Oh, six months to choose and nine months to deploy. Our ultimate goal, I want to connect every broker, every custodian, every payment gateway, every KYC provider globally. Like we're launching Go in other markets globally. So this idea of ready to go robo, we really think this is it. This drive towards Salesforce of robo, immediately deployable digital wealth tools, rather than this long lead time. And that's what's really happening. I think build our customized journey will always be there because the larger tier one's gonna want customized. But I think for the people in, and again, I use that, rather than using tier two, tier three, I use that no time, no upfront budget, and no tech team, which covers a lot of people, right? But yep. they need something today. And we think that's the really scalable play. And yeah, we're putting a lot of, we have 70 people in our team. So we're still pretty small, but a lot of engineers, a lot of people who have worked on this kind of ready to go version. You know, we're a few years into it and really feeling good about scaling it. Well, I mean, it's, it's on trend with a lot of things. It's basically falling right into the quote unquote, no code revolution that's slowly going on with technology in that, you know, the end user does not need to know how to write a single line of code in order to basically make something look or work right. And, you know, the simple example I always use, I don't use Salesforce because that can sometimes be daunting for people, but it's, it's like Squarespace or Wix, right? It's the, it's the ability to literally drag and drop an element. And as I always say, if you want to build a website, there's no excuse anymore. You can stand one up in a couple of hours. All you need is like words and pictures 
and you can get a template going and it will look beautiful and it will be going in no time. So that sort of low barrier to entry is enormously vital. So question for you, how far down market in terms of enterprise size or customer size do you see this going? Like, is this something that potentially like a you know single man RIA in the US could say, you know what, I just want to run everything off a robo style platform and be able to utilize you guys as a backend? Ultimately, that is the goal. So today, because when we deploy Bamboo Go, it's still what's called single tenant. So we have to do some deployment in that AWS environment and there's costs for yeah. that. But when we deploy what's called multi-tenant, the cost for us to deploy an extra advisor is incredibly low. And I do think there comes a part where a advisor puts in his credit card and whether it's not, it's not $9.99, but you know, $99 a month for my robo experience, I can set that up. That's coming at some point, right? Yeah. Clearly. So for your single one man RIA, who really genuinely has to be digital. And this is the other part, Jason, like we talk about no time, no budget, no tech, but what is the value? Why do it? And somebody mentioned this phrase the other day and I really like it. You do not have to be 100% digital to survive, but if you're 0% digital, you will die. And I like that <laughs> that it's not binary, right? It's not all robo, all nothing, right? And even if it's just a website, that's a good start. But in reality, in that advisor space, particularly today, you can't meet your client. They have to have a portal. They have to, you have to be on that journey. And I think right now we've built for a lot of the big tier guys, but we know we're doing a lot of pitching to RAAs across the states. But as you say, I do think, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think anybody's really cracked it right now, but by next year, when we have a multi-tenant version, single man RAA who wants to be able to do that. I think that's, that is a scalable piece of the market as time goes on for sure. Huge. I mean, essentially, you're 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 basically providing a TAMP service, essentially. Right? I mean, you're fully digital end to end. So, tell me about the pricing of what you've done thus far. So, you're basically doing this different than conventional platforms. So, how is it you're pricing this product? Absolutely. So, Bamboo Go, no upfront cost. So, no upfront cost to Bamboo Go, and then they start paying once it's live, and we charge a per user fee. So, it is a one US dollar per user per month. So, and a user is described as a funded account. So one US dollar per user per month or five basis points. People choose. Some people want to pay basis points. Some people want to pay per user. And that's how we price it, right? We really feel that the scale for most of our clients today, it's on a per user fee. When they do Bamboo Build, there's an upfront customized fee as well, right? So for the big mm-hmm. custom projects, clearly, because you know it's taken us six months to design and build with that product, then there is an upfront fee. But our key fee of what we do, and we think this is the key part of where software is going. Software used to really suck in that some software provides had you buy the proverbials and you had to pay for any tweak or change they did, right? Whereas today yeah. you can move APIs, cloud-based, you can move. And for us, when we deploy our software, you get more users. That's what we're saying. Use Bamboo software, beautiful user experience, great, flexible software. Both your advisors and your customers would love to use it. And then we get paid as you get more users. And that's how we price it. And we actually think that's how more and more digital wealth technology will be priced. Agreed. It's well, I mean, it's a far more scalable model, right? And, and, and with the barrier to entry, that's non-existent, right? Like you're, like you go back to the single person RIA shop, you start off as a single person, you have a handful of clients. You want to be able to provide a cutting edge technological experience that's highly digitized, that's going to make your life easy. And you just can't deal with massive upfront costs or massive like recurring monthly fees that are that are only really viable when you get to multiple hundred clients, right? It's just not going to happen. You know, the and I'm starting to see this trend with other software providers as well, where it's like, no, no, we're going to charge per per person so that we're going to scale 
at the same rate that your business does. And you know, one of the great things about software is it's basically infinitely scalable. So take advantage of that, right? Like it's, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, look, I think it's, and I think it is that financial services are changing from legacy software, whereby you install a huge core banking system or wealth management system, a year to negotiate, you negotiate the contracts to the nth degree, two to three years to install, mm. Everyone gets frustrated with each other. And then oh, I see you've been to Canada. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is, and I think it's just the reality from an AWS type of mentality or Azure or Google, whereby you look at cloud services or API. It's hard for us as a fintech to say, hey, we, you have to pay us X because software costs Y. Well, what costs is the people, right? So, you know, we have a team of 70 people building this software. I've got to make sure I, as a business, have enough money. And you know, sure, we might build for an RIA. They don't get many users and we won't make much money. Sure. But for example, one of the largest banks in Indonesia is our client. And when asked how many clients do they have, they have 15 million. So <laughs> clearly I'm not going to get a US dollar for all of those, but we scale down once we get into the hundreds yeah. of thousands. But you know, like any business, you end up with some people you end up with a lot of clients with you, some end up with less, but you learn and build from that. So I think that's a scalable software approach whereby not all clients are going to be huge winners for us, but some really will. Yeah. And further going down the vein of what's going to happen as you go, quote unquote, down market in terms of advisor size and, and, and enterprise size, you clearly architected this quite well in that everything appears to be open API. There seems to, I'm, I'm going through your documentation right now and I can see what looks to be calls to just about every function imaginable, right? Yep. And you're not looking to build the end widget for all things, but it looks like you'll be able to have bi-directional communication between say financial planning softwares and portfolio management softwares. So, you know, the advisor, you're not, so let me ask you something. How much demand has there been for you to kind of build the widget that does everything? I'm wondering about that because to me, that is a very antiquated notion. What I see the world as is, is a series of open APIs that essentially use the best in class solution for everything and just tie them all together. And there's a little bit of work, but it's not much in, in relative to what used to, what it used to be. But I still find enterprise vendors seem to have this like, but if we can just deal with this one company attitude, are you still encountering that? Or has is, is that mentality shifted in, in the customers you're talking to? I think it's starting to shift. I think they've realized it's had to, you know, like, whether it's all the way from some of the core, you know, banking as a service, wealth as a service, there's so mm -hmm. many different aspects. And even, so I think it's starting to shift, Jason. I think people are realizing that if you are dealing, particularly in fintechs with open API structures, cloud-based infrastructures. So for example, just to give you an example, clients say, oh, can you put in a chatbot? Or do you have a chatbot? They always say, do you have a chatbot? I'm like, no, but we'll put one in. Oh, wow, how? Well, I'll just get an API from another chatbot. I'll just put it in. Oh, okay. Do you have account aggregation? No, but I can do it. Do you do... KYC and funding? Uh, no. So what I realized was, I stopped saying no. I, they said, do you have a chatbot? Yes. Do you have account aggregation? Yes. Do you do you know, funding? Yes. And we tell them, here's our partner. Here's how it works. So one thing I would realize is they might, after a while, they realize, oh, okay, so Bamboo's our wealth management like main vendor, but they're going to mm -hmm. bring in all of these other ones. And you have to make that clear because we can't do it all. Like We could do quite a lot of financial planning, portfolio management, but to do that, I'm not a broker, I'm not a custodian, right? So I need them. So yeah, like I think the one thing I'm saying is they realize they need a range of vendors. But the other thing is, particularly the mid-tier size is, can you just deal with it all for us? Can you just make it all happen? And Robo's a bit weird. When we started the company, Jason, we built a range of APIs and we thought, hey, banks will have robo-advisors and they'll just call our APIs. The reality is most banks or RAs nope. don't have robo-advisors. Nope. So, so then we realized, oh, we have to build it for you so you can consume our APIs. But 
we are starting to see some of these, particularly newer, the digital banks, some of the newer companies, they're like, hey, look, can we just consume your APIs? So the business is coming a bit of full circle. We are seeing people who have their own robos. You know, we have some really smart financial planning yeah. tools. We have some smart AI. So people are starting to want to consume just our APIs. It's funny watching the mentality shift as people are realizing how the world really works these days. Because I remember a friend of mine who was a uh, similar business, uh, but they're getting, you know, talking about how he just got this entire like due diligence checklist of features that the vendor wanted him to go over. And it asked like, do you do all blah, 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 blah. I just kept on going. And he just replied back, I'm not even going to type into this questionnaire. Just know that the answer to all of them are yes. And they're just like, you know, you're full of crap. You know, you can't possibly do that all. And you're like, you're absolutely right. We can't do it all. But what we can do is you tell us who you like and we'll make it connect. And they're just like, just watching their, like, I, I kind of wanted to watch their brains be like, no, that's not what I'm used to. <laughs> that's, that doesn't make any sense. And it is, you know, it's a fundamental change in how software, because they used to be in their own worlds. Oh, here's one set of software. Here's another set. They don't talk. It's painful. You pay a lot of money. It's clunky. Whereas today, you know, the way it works, again, let's not delude ourselves. Software is never easy to implement, right? There's still challenges yeah. with APIs, but is it way better? And I think your friend was right. Hey, if someone has an API out there, you want us to integrate? Answer is yes. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, depending on how good the other API is, that's the real problem, right? Well, but that's digging into the next level, right? Is it documented? Is it published? Is it correctly documented? Yeah. I mean, even for us, like you're seeing our APIs, we have more APIs we're still publishing. So what you're seeing on the website is they called the calculated collection. We have a whole range called the organization collection, and it's fully there. It's fully ready. It's all there. But what we realized is, and we could publish it today, but you've got to document it beautifully. Because if you don't document it beautifully, it's people look up and go, oh, wow, your APIs suck. Like, no, 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 they're great. They're just not documented. So I yeah. think they're still in the world of API. I think when you say to business people, I have APIs, they're like, great. All APIs are the same. You talk of tech. No, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, they're so. not. There, there's, yeah, no. Anyway, so before we wrap up, I have three questions I ask everybody just to get you thinking. The first one is, if you had one wish for something you can change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? The word robo-advisor. I wish whoever picked that. Such a misnomer, isn't it, eh? Like, it's, it's totally not what it is. Like, it, it really is not. Jason, if I had a dollar for every time people turn up and go, so how does your robot beat the market? I'm like, no. Oh. I don't ha if I had a robot that could beat the market, I'd keep him at home and feed him my money. And, and so I would change the word robot. But you know, here's the thing. I say digital wealth or wealth as a service. People go, oh, you're a robo-advisor. I'm like, yeah, that's me. I am what it says on yeah, the tip. Lean into it, unfortunately. Uh, it's, it, it's such a, you know, depending on which, what, what, how, you, how deep you look at it, it's really <laughs> nothing more than, like, let's call it robo-investment account management platform. That's really all it is, right? Like, advisor just actually makes it sound like advice, and it, it absolutely is not. Short, of, short of slotting based on an art risk tolerance questionnaire, it really is not. You can't get away from it, right? It, it is what it is. So I would love, to, if there was one thing I would change, it would be that, but it is what it is. Well, I'll blame the B2B marketing people because, sorry, the B2C marketing people, because clearly the only one who benefits from that is them because it doesn't, it doesn't right. help the rest of us. But yeah, it's, whew, it's a frustrating one. So second question for you, what's the biggest challenge in the company to where it is today? Uh, so I'll tell you the fun thing, then I'll tell you the challenge, right? This is the most fun I've ever had in my career. I had a lucky career. I ran E-Trade in Asia. I had an awesome time. And, you know, I got paid pretty well for having a pretty fun job. The greatest challenge of getting it to where it is today probably kind of personal to me. I'm a pretty competitive dude. And I always, I just think we can do it quicker. Like I keep saying to myself, why haven't we done that before? And 
So every time I look back six months ago, I'm like, why? Why didn't I do that six months ago? Why didn't I do today? What six months ago? So I think the biggest challenge is not to try to do too many things, right? We've probably bamboos one of our challenges. We have clients in Brazil, Dubai, Indonesia, US. We've built a range of projects. So one of the greatest challenges is probably, a, you know, I can't win at everything, right? And I understand that. And, you know, every startup thinks they're going to win. You know, nobody starts a startup thinks, hey, I'm going to fail. For failure? No, no. No. <laughs> Yet, science facts tell us nine out of 10 startups fail. So the biggest challenge is to really accept, I can't, you know, I want it to be amazing. And it is amazing. But I, I can think my own definition of amazing keeps stepping ahead of me. And maybe that's every entrepreneur, right? Maybe it's such a cliched thing, right? Oh my God, it's not good enough. So that's been the biggest challenge to just be not happy. I'm super happy. I love it. But I always want to do more. And I mean, that's just startup life, right? You're never, it's never yeah. quite there. Right? No, absolutely. Especially if you're the guy on the sales side, because that job is chasing yeah. squirrels more than it is <laughs> being, being an editor. So it uh, definitely doesn't help. Yeah. And look, as a sales guy, honestly, Jason, I love sales. We could do a whole podcast about that. And I go into every sales pitch believing I'm going to win it. And of course I don't. And I've done over two and a half thousand sales pitches since I started Bamboo. So I've pitched a lot. And in B2B, you have to. And if I lose it, I don't get upset. I'm okay with it. I really am. I don't cry. Or, you know, I'm like, okay, let's move on. But I go to everyone, believe I'm going to win. When I don't, I'm like, oh, okay, next, next, next. So yeah, the greatest challenge is to kind of satisfy my own kind of desire to win. Every pitch, every award I enter, everything, I want to win it all. And you can't. That's as, as a highly competitive individual, I can relate. Let's leave it at that. So last question for you. What excites you the most about what it is you're working on and gets you out of bed every morning, but keep, keep on fighting a good fight? It's going to sound cliche, but I absolutely love the team I built. Uh, we built like... Honestly, we have, so we won Singapore FinTech Employer of the Year last year in the thousands oh, of wow. FinTech firms. We were the winner. We have almost the highest retention rate in the industry. I absolutely love this crew, team, community, whatever you call them. We call ourselves Bambooians, right? And I was incredibly lucky to meet Jack Ma of Alibaba for a few minutes, right? And he said, this is what we believe at Alibaba. And what, you know, true, not whatever, right? Employ people who smile. I don't want to see anybody at Alibaba who doesn't smile. I'm sure there's people who don't smile at Alibaba. I'm not delusional. But the luckiest thing for me is I've employed every single person at Bamboo. And I only employ people I like. And so I get to go to work every day with 70 people I like, honestly. And I think that means we can build, of course, I love our clients, but it means we can build awesome stuff. Because I think if I like all of them, they should like each other to a degree. And I'm sure we have some politics at Bamboo and all that stuff. But it's the best job I've ever had. Least I've ever been paid, Jason. Least I've ever been paid. <laughs> most fun I've ever had. It gets me out of bed every morning. Yeah, it's funny how those two can be inversely correlated for a very long time. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct, yeah. right? Excellent. Well, Ned, this has been a pleasure. Thank you very much for taking the time and keep on uh, fighting the good fight because honestly, just being able to deploy that sort of technology that quickly for small advisors is going to be quite the game-changing paradigm. I mean, just, you know, we've all gotten so used to when you start off, things have to be hard and things have to not be pretty and things not have, to, have to not be fully digital. This you know, next generation of advisors will never know that pain. Exactly. <laughs> and you're part of that solution. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show. I look forward to speaking again. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you. So that was my interview with Ned Phillips of Bamboo. I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever's eat your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. 
To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.